Hey there, and welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode 16, Corrective Actions and Preventative Actions. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, where we are building profitable food businesses, one product, one process, one thought at a time. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hello, my fellow foodpreneurs, and welcome to episode 16, Corrective Actions and Preventative Actions. I'm so excited to be here speaking with you today. It's going to be a great day around here at the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute. We are actually heading up to a small conference put on by CEI, which is this great funding and accelerator program we have here in Maine, and I'm so looking forward to meeting a bunch of new Maine local food entrepreneurs. It's going to be amazing. So today we're bringing corrective actions and preventative actions, and I'm doing this because this is what we're covering in the power group in February, and I wanted to have a podcast in the can for everybody to be able to think about because corrective actions are so very important. The best companies that I work with are not afraid of their corrective actions and preventative actions or CAPA program. They see a problem and they move swiftly to fix it. These companies are generally more profitable and they really do have fewer issues. They don't have no issues, they have fewer issues. You know, I spend a lot of time fixing problems with clients. This is basically how my business was born. And I do it because I love seeing how clients react when they come to a decision about how a problem is going to be solved. I love this work so much. I do everything that I can to bring it to people. And that's why I'm doing CAPA as the second program we address in the power group. Last month we did sanitation program programming and this month is CAPA because how you do corrective actions is the metric of food safety culture. And really, anybody who's ever played a sport understands corrective actions and preventative actions. You screw up and you fix it. I played varsity tennis as a high schooler, and when my serve was off and I didn't win my serve point, I had to fix it or I'd lose. <laughs> and folks, I, I really hate losing at competitive sports. In any team sport, when your defense is crumbling, it must get fixed and it must get fixed fast for you to salvage the game. You know, we're in the middle, I guess we're not in the middle of the playoffs anymore, but football playoffs are won by defense, my friends. They are absolutely won by defense. And so what I'm telling you is, is that this salvaging your defense, salvaging the game, the same is true in business. And frankly, that's why so many sports figures go into business keynoting, because their stories are our stories. A losing team must stand in tr the truth of the score. A business team, though, gets to be fuzzy because there aren't numbers staring at you until there are. And business teams let a lot of stuff get in the way of the truth of their organization. But by standing in your truth and doing corrective actions well, this is the single most important metric of your food safety culture. 
you only have a food safety culture when people can admit a mistake without fear of retribution. And when you stand in the truth of your organization, decision making is frankly much faster. You waste less time and you will suffer less reputational damage, whether internal or external damage. Frankly, the faster you show up, the better you'll feel. You'll be able to recognize that the worst thing that can happen is the burning humiliation and shame. Folks, that's a chemical reaction and a buzzing feeling in your body. It sucks, but as every teenager knows, that won't kill you. Though you might wish it would, it doesn't actually kill you. When you make decisions faster, you'll sleep better. You'll have less anxiety. And Lord knows we can all relate to the anxiety pylon that we get with shame. When you show up to your corrective actions and preventative actions, you can move on, you can drive on, and build the business that you were meant to build. Because that's what we all want, right? To build our dreams. Well, when you dream big, you fail big. And failing big means that you need to fix, learn, and grow. That's what Kappa is. And if you do this right, you'll change absolutely everything. So the first thing I want to tell you is that as a part of the podcast, I'm actually giving away my Kappa SOP and program with the documentation paperwork. You're going to want to listen to this podcast, go get the download, and you'll find out how at the end of the podcast, and then re-listen to the podcast with it in front of you. And of course, if you want to dive deeper, you are more than welcome to join us in our power group. Okay, you can find us at www.sfbdi.com slash power group. Next, I want to point out how we write SOPs around here because most of my clients are going for a third-party audit. They need much more than the standard USDA acceptable SOP, which is basically a cut and paste of the GMP programs um, that you can find on the web. They need a whole program of documentation. That's really what's in the download. There's an SOP, a corrective action record or CAR, and an on-the-spot correction, and a register for CARs and on-the-spots. I'll explain each one of these in turn, but it's those documents taken together that create the program. So starting with the SOP, let me explain it. First, this is an ISO compliant SOP. And for those of you who haven't heard kind of the backstory about ISO, here it is. ISO stands for the International Standards Organization. And it is a system that came out of the US Navy after Vietnam. So when we were done fighting the Vietnam War, the admirals sort of picked up their heads and looked around and said, hmm, are we do, did, did we buy what we thought we, buy, we bought? Did we actually receive what we bought? How did we know what we were buying? All of those sorts of questions. And this all came along with kind of a revolution of manufacturing brought about by a couple of real manufacturing and statistical process control geniuses, one of whom was Edward Deming. You'll, you'll hear me refer to Dr. Deming in a lot of podcasts. We, we talked about him with the Lean podcast a couple weeks ago. And so out of the Vietnam War, the ISO system was born. And this system basically has two components. It has the technical component of what you do, and it has the management component of how do you know you do what you said you were going to do. 
that's it. It, it that is it at its most basic form. It gets much more complicated than that, but for those undergoing a GFSI process, you know, getting an SQF or a BRC audit, if you take a step back when you're diving into confusion and say, is this technical documentation or is this control documentation, it actually makes the whole process a lot easier. So diving back into the SOP, much of what you see on the first page of this SOP is to adhere to this kind of ISO compliance. The name and address of the facility is in the header. The document control elements are in the first table. That's the document number, name, revision date. And we actually put the document name in twice, once in the header and once in the table, because I promise all of your documentation starts to look the same. So let me explain the rest of the page you'll see something called scope. And the scope is what in real natural language, what the SOP is all about. The purpose is the rule, law, or guidance, or standard to which the SOP is written. Requirements, well, these are what you need to execute the SOP besides your brain, a pen, and a piece of paper. Remember, almost all of this happens in pen, preferably black ink, <laughs> okay? Responsibilities. This element lays out who's responsible for what. Listed in here must be the person who signed the SOP in up at the top of the page. Storage. This lays out how the document is stored. ISO standards for storage are three years, so we just do that because that exceeds almost every USDA and FDA requirement. If it doesn't exceed a USDA and FDA requirement, let me know because I haven't found one that's longer than three years. Verification and validation. Well, this lays out how we know the SOP is working the way it was intended. Go back and listen to the verification and validation podcast to learn more about that. The corrective actions program. So you'll notice that, that the front page on the corrective actions SOP actually has its own corrective actions. This is lays out what happens when something goes wrong. So a Kappa SOP can have corrective actions because Lord knows I see people implementing Kappa wrong too. <laughs> Finally, we have documents generated. Folks, I'm an auditor at heart and it is so much easier when I read an SOP to figure out what other documents I need to look at to make sure the SOP is working if we just list them out. So, Okay, so the steps of the SOP. This actually, SOP is actually fairly easy in its overview. And I'm just gonna go ahead and read this, and then I'll go through and I'll explain it, okay? So corrective actions and preventative actions, including on-the-spot corrections or trainings, are necessary to detect and eliminate quality problems in non-conforming product. Quality problems means that food specifications excluding food safety are not met. Non-conforming product means that the food doesn't meet the facility's established guidelines for the food, including food safety measures. Point two, all SOPs and CCPs will have CAPA built into their functionality. Corrective actions and preventative actions can be implemented throughout the facility and do not need to be tied to a specific SOP. So you'll notice that corrective actions stem from non-conformance. And folks, the only way you know nonconformance is if you have written specifications. You can't know if you screwed something up if you don't know what you were supposed to do in the first place, right? So what does that mean for your CAPA program? Well, when something goes wrong, you must fix it and you must document when you fix it.
We have two kinds of documentation built into the program, a corrective actions report or CAR and an on-the-spot correction. CARs are for the big things and on-the-spots for the smaller but still important things. So diving into that, I'm going to review the general steps of a car and explain them. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to state the problem or weakness, including the root cause. The purpose of your car is to do a root cause analysis because something went really, really wrong. You have got to think about what went wrong, and this is where the Strive model can come in super, super handy. So let's run through a Strive model on a recent problem that I have had with a client. Okay, so I have a client that has a listeria problem. I actually have several clients that have listeria problems, so don't worry, I'm not giving any way, away any secrets. And listeria problems always come from cleaning issues. So let's see what that looks like through Strive. So the first question is safe. Are people physically safe to clean appropriately? In some cases, the answer may be no, okay, because our equipment is dangerous, it doesn't come apart well, and you may have to climb into small spaces to clean it, all right? So if you have physical safety issues, you must clear those up in order to fix anything else. Financially safe. I have a lot of people who cut corners because they're trying to get out early because a lot of people in food manufacturing work more than one job and they can't afford, they literally cannot afford to spend more than their allotted time at one job because then they won't be on time for their next job. So I find more than my fair share of financial instability issues and financial safety issues come to light when we discover a listeria problem. Emotionally safe. This asks, do people have a harassment problem? Are you, you know, do you have harassment? Do you have bullying? Are people feeling emotionally unsafe around their coworkers? People are not gonna clean. They're not gonna go into cleaning closets. They're not gonna stay late at night in dark places in food production facilities if they are not emotionally safe with their, with their coworkers. Trained, do people actually know how to clean? You'd be surprised, folks. Go pull out your cleaning documentation. Join the power group. Go through the go through our January um, curriculum on sanitation. Make sure everybody knows that soap has to stay on your surfaces for seven to t seven to twelve minutes. You'd be surprised at how little people know about the actual technical aspects of cleaning. Respected. Are, do people respect, because by, by virtue of who is asking them to do the cleaning, uh, or by the, the, what do I want to say? I want to say the, um, the virtue of cleaning in your facility. Do, do people respect that cleaning is something that needs to be done? I have been in places where cleaning is a complete afterthought. These are places that have problems. Has management invested in, so that's the I in Strive, is management invested in making sure that this problem is solvable? Have they invested time, talent, and treasure? Have they made the training available? Have they spent the time with their employees to educate them about Listeria and where Listeria lives? The answer is not always in some cases. And then finally, and then, then the V is valued. Does management value solving this problem? I mean, yeah, the answer is yes. Management often 
often, often, <laughs> um, values solving the listeria problem, but do they value the work of the employees who are the ones who are actually going to be able to solve it? The management team who works in an office can't solve the listeria problem, folks. It has to be the people who are cleaning. Do you value the people who are cleaning? And finally, empowered. Are the people who are doing the actual cleaning empowered to do it correctly? Or have you piled so much work on them that they can't do it correctly? Think about those things. All right, so step two in the corrective action report is list out the individuals who will be accountable for the results of the corrective action. Unless you create accountability, nothing's going to happen. I think we all know that. We need to create simple, measurable solutions that address the root cause of what happened. That's the third step. The fourth step is each solution should have a person that's accountable to it. So we decide who's accountable, we figure out how we're going to solve the problem, and then we assign people to actually solve the problem. Next, we give them achievement deadlines. <laughs> These are really, really important. Sixth, we've got to monitor the progress of how we're doing. Then seven, uh, do you need to figure out if you have an SOP problem that created the situation? Oftentimes, in the listeria case that I just outlined above, if you have one of my SOPs, it's not the SOP problem, it's people understanding what they're supposed to, what they're supposed to be doing or cutting corners in other ways. Number eight is, is you've got to restore conditions, hopefully to the point where this won't happen again. Nine is if there's product anywhere near any of this, and with listeria there always is, you must figure out if your product is okay to be sold, and if not, what lot numbers are affected. Finally, step 10 is now do you need to go and rewrite the SOPs? There's no point in doing a root cause analysis if you don't, don't actually go fix what happened so it doesn't happen again. Go through your Strive answers and figure out where you need to start implementing fixes. Do some thought work to get there and do the fixes. Fix your SOPs. So that's a the short version of a corrective action report. You can always go download it. And then finally, I want to talk about the steps of the on-the-spot correction. So I created these after going to the SQF conference Oh, I don't know, it feels like six years ago. <laughs> and one of the most common causes of failure on an SQF audit six years ago was failure to document fixing the small things. You know, everybody documents fixing the big things. It's fixing the small things that actually create the culture of food safety a lot of the time because it shows that management is paying attention. And an on-the-spot correction is what we do because these are much less intense than a car, but still super important. And for the smaller things that happen. And these are particularly useful to know because management needs to know where to implement most of the time more training. But I want you to be aware, many times people are trained just fine and that there are other places that need fixing. Again, pull out the STRIVE model and determine what areas need improvement in your facility. Then figure out through the model how to improve them so that the fixes are actually helpful and implemented. My fellow foodpreneurs, I really want you to go and do this work. I can't really say it more plainly in that, than that. The single biggest measure of your food safety culture is the ability to fix stuff when it is broken without fear of retribution. 
go get the download at www.sfbdi.com slash episode 16. And my fellow foodpreneurs, if you find these podcasts helpful, it would be amazing if you would leave us a comment and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because that really helps me in the algorithm and it really helps me bring this work to more people so that we can grow and sustain the local food movement. Thanks so much and have a fabulous week, my friends. Hey, are you looking to connect with me over the growth and scale of your business? Well, we've got this really great new way to do it. Head on over to sfbdi.com slash blueprint and learn how you can get on a phone call with me and have 30 minutes that's going to like change your life and change the direction of growth and scale in your business. Love to talk to you soon. You've been listening to Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele on the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast. We hope you loved the show. For more information and show notes, please find us at sfbdi.com. Thanks for listening.